Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work, and you can find out more. Give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is Life in Naples. Net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is January the 20th, and on this day in 1981, minutes after Ronald Reagan's inauguration, as the 40th president of the United States, the 52 U.S. captives held by at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, Iran, were released, ending the 144-day, the 444-day Iran hostage crisis. On November the 4th, 1979, the crisis began when militant Iranian students outraged that the United States government had allowed the ousted Shah of Iran to travel to New York City for medical treatment, seized the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, the Ayatollah Khomeini, Iran's political and religious leader, took over the hostage situation, refusing all appeals to release the hostages, even after the U.N. Security Council demanded an end to the crisis in a unanimous vote. However, two weeks after storming the embassy, the Ayatollah began to release all non-U.S. captives and all female and minority Americans, citing these groups as among the people oppressed by the government of the United States. The remaining 52 captives remained at the mercy of the Ayatollah for the next 14 months. President Jimmy Carter, who was unable to diplomatically resolve the crisis, and on uh, April the 24th, 1980, he ordered a disastrous rescue mission in which eight U.S. military personnel were killed and no hostages were rescued. Three months later, the former Shah died of cancer in Egypt, but the crisis continued. In November 1980, Carter lost the presidential election to Republican Ronald Reagan. Soon after, with the assistance of Algerian intermediaries, successful negotiations began between the United States and Iran. On the day of Reagan's inauguration, the United States freed almost $8 billion in frozen Iranian assets, and the hostages were released after 444 days. The next day, Jimmy Carter flew to the West Germany to greet the Americans on their way home. Jimmy Carter, uh, the second worst president of the United States. Remember the speech about our malaise? He blamed what was going on in the country and the lack of success on the malaise of the American people. Anyhow, good to get our hostages back. Iran's con continued to be a thorn in the side of, the, of uh, global peace. Uh, local news, Chef Brian Rowland has left to Fort Myers Hospital where he remained for more than a month since he was injured at a Naples car dealership. Uh, here's a quote. Local Chef uh, Brian Rowland was seriously injured in an accident on December the 4th, 2021. His family wrote in a statement dated January the 14th after a long stay at Memorial Hospital, Lee Memorial. He'll be transferred for rehabilitation. We're all hopeful that Chef Brian continues to make progress in his recovery. Chef Brian and his wife, Nicole, thank the community for their outpouring of love and support during these difficult times. Rowan was pinned under a freight elevator platform at the Ferrari of Naples, according to police reports, where he was 
catering a grand opening event, I believe it was for Neighborhood Healthcare. And despite the accident, his catering company, Crave Culinary, continues to operate. So if you need a caterer, they do a great job. And I'm sure that things are difficult with uh, Chef Brian. So uh, this report doesn't give us a lot of information, but at least he's out of the hospital, and that's good news. Hopefully a miracle will occur, and he'll be back to normal one day soon. Or not soon, but just hopefully he's going to be okay. Great young man. I just genuinely appreciate my associate with him in the past association and uh, just want him to recover. Well, the old Naples Hotel project has sprung back to life. Uh, the Camier family, Camelier family has announced a partnership with Ocean Properties Hotels and Resorts and its affiliates to build and operate the luxury hotel on 3rd Street South. Ocean Properties is one of the largest hotel owners and operators in Florida. Most of its properties are owned and run by descendants of the brand's patriarch, Tom Walsh. The company's extensive holdings include several Four Diamond resorts in South Florida and Sunset Key Cottages in Key West. According to its website, Ocean Properties' uh, portfolio consists of 125 hotels with more than 19,000 rooms in more than 15 states. Complications arising out of the coronavirus pandemic delayed the constructions. Uh, the planned hotel is reminiscent of the historic Naples Hotel, incorporating its iconic cupola and inviting nature in its designed uh, detail. Uh, rendering the old Naples Hotel planned for 3rd Street South is available. You can go online to uh, the Naples uh, Daily News. The former hotel opened in 1889 and operated for nearly 90 years. City Council approved the redevelopment project in May of 2018. And construction is beginning to been in the fall of 2022, uh, completing slated for 2024. Be a nice addition to downtown Naples on Third Street South. A really nice addition, and of course, replacing pretty ugly shopping center that was there for years. Governor Ron DeSantis administration has put on leave Orange County Health Director Dr. Raul Pino for encouraging his staff to get vaccinated. Pino had written in January 4th an email to his staff, I have a hard time understanding how we can be in public health and not practice it, he said. In an email Wednesday on to the USA Today Network, Florida, DeSantis spokesperson Christina Pushaw uh, referred to the health department statement on decision to put Pino on leave as the decision to get vaccinated is a personal medical choice that should be made free from coercion and mandates from employers, it says. The employee in question has been placed on administrative leave, and the Florida Department of Health is conducting an inquiry to determine if any laws will be broken in this case. The Department of uh, Health is committed. Uh, the Department is committed to upholding all laws, including the ban on vaccine mandates for government employees, and will take appropriate action once information is known. Pino's email to his staff detailed that only 219 of his 596 staff members have received two doses. I'm sorry, but in the absence of reasonable and real reasons, is it irresponsible not to be vaccinated? We've been at this uh, for two years, and we were the first to give vaccines to the masses. We have done more than 300,000, and we're not even 50% pathetic, he wrote. Well, all that may be true, but it's outside of the law. You are required by law to not give mandates or pressure to your employees. And uh, this may be a choice that you make for yourself, but everybody has the right to make their own choice. So perhaps you want to say, you know, it would just encourage you 
to get vaccinated. It's your choice, though. That'd be certainly within bounds. But to uh, the, this is unreasonable pressure, in my view. Probably should lose his job. It's the law in here in Florida. President Biden shuffled out to a press conference on yesterday as the nation nears its one year of his presidency. He claimed repeatedly he doesn't know what Republicans stand for. I'm not kidding. He really said that. How about energy independence, controlled and legal immigration, safe streets and justice for all, respect for individual rights? Hey, just to name a few. In answer to the first question about if he'd overpromised during his first year, he said, I don't think I've overpromised at all. And we're staying on this track, he said. We passed a lot of things that people don't even understand. What's in it, understandably, <laughs> he said. People just don't understand. I didn't overpromise, but I have probably outperformed what anybody thought would happen. Now, he really said that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the guy. Have you, I'm sure if you've been an employer, if you've been in a position where you're doing job reviews and see your worst employee who does everything wrong, seemingly almost everything wrong, you ask him how he's doing and he like give, ask for his self-assessment. He begins to say all the great things he's accomplished or she's accomplished. He's shaking your head saying, boy, is this person out of touch. Well, that's exactly what uh, he sounded like last night. A reporter asked him if he was concerned that the two biggest difficulties he's currently facing are from his own party. He then claimed that Americans overwhelmingly agree with him. I don't know what the source of his information is, certainly not polling, on a heap of unpopular proposals. Biden said he would be out of, on the road to make the case for practical things the American people have been asking for for a long time. And I'm sure Democrats are pleased to hear that, have Biden out there on the road during the election year. But irrespective, he said he's gotten proposals done bigger than any president has ever gotten. Again, out of touch. He pressed for the passage of legislation he's been advocating for his sweeping election bills that would bring states' voting laws under federal control as well as this Build Back Better plan. By the way, last night Chuck Schumer brought this voting laws uh, plan to the floor of the Senate, and it got voted down along with the one-time uh, filibuster removal. All that got voted down last night, so uh, I'm sure he's going to make another attempt at it. But uh, again, Biden's chopping, but no chips are flying. Yeah, if, in fact, no matter how hard they make it for minorities to vote, I think you're going to see them standing in line and defy the attempt to keep them from being able to vote, he said. He really said that. He's, <laughs> nobody's complaining about the inability to vote. Anybody can vote. They just have to follow the rules. We all have to follow the same rules. Biden said he should be spending less time in Washington, more time out in the community where people can get a sense of who he is. And he still has some very close relationships with members of the Black Caucus. You know what? I think the party's over and the lights are out and he's still standing there. And he said, I think I, I make no apologies for the disastrous Afghanistan pullout. He didn't call it that, but he certainly said that. As to the question of schools closing during COVID, he whispered in the mic, very few schools are closing, and he slammed uh, media for reporting too much on the school closures, saying 95% of schools are open. Well, of course, 100% of schools should be open. Biden said that Vladimir Putin has never seen sanctions like the one I promised. If the nation moves against Ukraine, Russia will be held accountable, he said. These sanctions include their banks not, uh, will not be able to deal in dollars. Biden raised eyebrows when he suggested that the U.S. may act differently if Russia is guilty of a minor incursion. 
Holy mackerel, did alarms go off at the State Department. Even Jen Psaki, after uh, the press release, after the press conference, came out with a press release to walk back his comments. As to the Supreme Court's overturning of vaccine mandates, Biden said they made a mistake and that he's confident businesses will uphold his wishes to require employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Of course, just yesterday in the news, Starbucks decided to reverse its policy, and they're not going to require these mandates. Biden claimed that Republican senators don't vote with his legislation because they're afraid of being primaried by Mitch McConnell. <laughs> not that his ideas are crazy. Why are you trying so hard in your first year to put your, your country so far to the left? Peter Ducey asked from Fox News. Well, I'm not, he said, before listing off his leftist policies and discussing his attempt to enact them. I'm a mainstream Democrat and always have been, he said. James Rosen with Newsmax asked toward the end of the conference about the poll released from Politico saying that many voters disagree with the statement, Joe Biden is mentally fit. Biden didn't answer the question. Rosen asked a follow-up. Why do you suppose such a large segment of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fit fitness? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> Before taking much anticipated questions from the press, Biden touted his agenda and his massive spending plans. He claimed that the administration would stick with our vaccination efforts because vaccinations work and encourage boosters, more vaccinations for Americans to get tested for COVID. COVID's not the new normal, he said, but a job is not yet finished and it will get better. We're moving towards a place where COVID-19 won't disrupt our daily lives, he said. He said that everybody in the globe should get uh, vaccinated. Uh, ironically and interestingly, many companies, countries are dropping their requirements. Boris Johnson said uh, that his plan B will be to completely shred next Wednesday as he hailed a light at the end of the tunnel, hated vaccine passports, will be dumped along with requirement to wear face masks anywhere indoors. That's Boris Johnson in the U.K. Biden, however, is pressing on. It was sad. It was really, you know, quite frankly, in my view, the whole press conference was an exercise in denial of reality. Our president is weak, angry, and inept. So sad. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website 
at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239 239- 252-4534. That's 252-3534. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out. You can find out more by downloading the app from the choicesocial.us website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less uh, Less Government. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to talk to you, Bob. Always enjoy it. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance continues to work to improve K-12 through education in Florida. We look for solutions to problems. We are not a group, and we're determined to not be a group that just complains about things. When we find a problem, we want to find a solution, and we want to help parents who are looking for solutions to their child's problem or grandparents or aunts and uncles, whoever's involved in that child's life. We want to help them find the solutions they need so their child can have a great education and be equipped for the, the amazing world we live in. Absolutely. And I must say, just uh, I will I totally support the work of the Florida Citizens Alliance, the work that you've done in eight or nine years, the great progress you've made in having influence in Tallahassee, all positive for the quality of education for uh, kids in public schools here in Florida. Uh, and now let's start off with the event that you have tonight. Yes, we have Nick Adams coming in. He's going to be at the Silver Spot at 6 o'clock tonight. We want to encourage people to come. He's going to speak to us. People may recognize that name from his appearances on television, his connection to President Trump. Uh, President Trump actually endorsed his book, called it a must-read, and that's very unusual. In fact, I was told that that's never happened before, that a sitting president has said that about an author's book. And so Nick is coming. He's going to talk to us tonight, 6 o'clock at the Silver Spot. People can sign up and get a ticket on our website on the events section at goflca.org, goflca.org. That that pops up right first thing under the events section, and it's not too late to sign up. We'd love to have people come, and you can be part of our announcement because we're going to have another essay contest winner tonight, and that's always fun to 
to give away a thousand dollars to a student who writes an essay and wins the prize for this this time this event this time. Yeah, great event indeed. GoFLCA.com or org is the website. So uh, do check it out. Uh, Pastor Rick, I know that uh, we've started the legislative session. I know that you've got a lot hanging fire right now. Maybe you could tell us about some of the things you're you're uh, advocating. Well, we're working on a lot of different things, and we're following not just the things that have been our initiative, but the initiative of others. And we're really quite amazed and pleased that the the steps that the legislature looks like they're going to take on education. You know, being an election year, sometimes things take baby steps instead of bigger steps. And this looks like some more significant things. And one of the things that everybody should be watching, and and what we're watching as well, is there's a bill that started in the Senate by Senator Diaz to change the FSA testing situation. Many people, teachers, students, parents, have been unhappy with the FSA assessment process. And we've heard for a long time that that was going to be changed, and this is the year. And so Senator Diaz is... Uh, sponsoring this bill, championing, championing it in the Senate, and it will eliminate the FSA as we know it and replace it with a progress monitoring uh, method where students will take an assessment at the beginning of the class, during the middle of the class, and then one at the end. So that that way teachers and parents, because the bill calls for parents to get the results in a very timely manner, they'll be able to know where the child is and how the child is making progress so instruction, the teachers can adjust to help the child, and the parents can know if their child is actually making progress and be a part of that whole environment that helps make the child make progress. I'll so tell you, that, one, that makes so much sense. I mean, it, to, to have uh, that focuses on the individual child and the progress. It doesn't focus on how the overall class is doing, and uh, that never works for the, the kid that's falling behind or the kid that's excelling, quite frankly. Uh, it's one size fits all. So I think it's just a great move. It is, and, and we're excited about that. There is one challenge that I think they need to address. We've talked to some of the decision makers. We had a our team was in Tallahassee this week and had a conversation with one of the um, influential people on the governor's staff. And one of the problems that, and one of their challenges is they want to do all of this assessment using computers. Mm -hmm. Well, computers are part of our lives, okay? We've come to more or less accept that, and we're not uh, inherently against that. But what we believe many parents will remember was the problem with data mining that dates back to the Common Core days. And many parents were upset about the way computers were going to be used, and they considered it an invasion of privacy, mm -hmm. uh, an abuse of their child, a lot of things. And now they want to use computers again, which is, again, not inherently against that. But we have asked both the Department of Education and now the governor's office to work on ways to assure parents that that's not going to be abused. We don't think they intend to abuse it, the people that are making the decisions right now. Mm -hmm. But we want the systems put in place so that parents can always have transparency and know that their child is never going to be put in a bad situation or their family is going to be uh, snooped on inappropriately by the data mining. We think that's very important. It is very important. I'll just note for our listeners that uh, the focus now is on the family making decisions and privacy. In some states, they're raising questions about whether parents should have any say at all in the education curriculum or what's going on with their child. Yeah, they are. And, and we in Florida, both because of the, the Parents' Bill of Rights that was passed and signed into law last year, and there are some other moves in the legislature along that line to, to increase parent involvement, including this bill. 
it's very important and we need to not not treat the parents like bystanders or observers, but they need to be full participants and decision makers in their child's education. Right. And that's the challenge with this bill. Uh, we think they can solve it. We just think they need to get out in front of that before it becomes a problem because we don't want a good idea to be messed up by something that's that's avoidable. And that's that's the challenge right now. So, Pastor Rick, we have so many other things to talk about. But I, before I let you go, I, we have this wonderful event coming up at Silver Spot tonight. Again, goflca.com is the website. You've got a big event coming up in March. Oh, that's even bigger. You're right. That's our annual gala. And we're having uh, Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager come and share the stage. These gentlemen are, are well acquainted with each other, but they've never been on the stage at the same time like we're going to do it at this event. Wow. And we're really excited about that. Plus, we have Seth Dillon from the Babylon Bee. And uh, who knows who else might show up. And people can get their tickets at the same place, goflca.org, under the events tab. And we would sure love to have people join us. It's going to be fabulous. Thank you so much, Pastor Rick. Again, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, goflca.com is the website. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, always a pleasure. You're always fun to talk to, Bob. Thank you so much, Pastor Rick. All right, coming up. Michael Cannon, he's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You can get tickets now for performances. Just go to the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He's the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We push for individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. We want you to be able to live your life however you want, so long as you respect the equal rights of others. And you wouldn't think that that would be controversial, but in Washington, D.C., it certainly is. Yeah, it certainly is. It's an uphill climb. So, uh, Michael, you've got a big event coming up today that our listeners can participate in. Maybe you can tell us about it. So at 2 p.m. Eastern today, uh, we're having an online event with a, a couple of scholars uh, discussing the impact that Medicare has on the quality of care that seniors receive. Unfortunately, Medicare has a negative impact on healthcare quality. It, it has, uh, mo- uh, in all likelihood, increased the number of medical errors in um, in, in the United States. It uh, creates incentives that, uh, or, or we'll call them suboptimal incentives, to make sure that seniors are getting all of the care that uh, yeah. that they that, that could benefit them, preventive care, um, uh, uh, beta blockers when they're admitted for heart attacks. Yeah. Decades of research have shown that uh, there are serious quality gaps in the Medicare program, and we can tie those to the incentives that Medicare creates for. Uh, how doctors practice medicine. And so we'll be talking about that at 2 p.m. today, and you can participate by going to the Cato website, www.cato.org, and you can even ask questions online through social media or through the Cato website. Cato.org, again, is the website. Thank you, Michael, for that. So um, a couple things on my mind. I'd like to just get an update from yesterday. We heard our president giving his second press conference in the in his presidency up there for two hours it looked like the it looked like to me like the uh, reporters wanted to end the thing before he did but irrespective uh you know he's uh, he's talking about continuing trying to get everybody in the globe vaccinated et cetera, et cetera. we're seeing uh, uh boris johnson for example saying hey look we're dropping all mandates all requirements for masks all vaccine vaccine man mandates or uh passports whatever it's all going to stop right here in Great Britain. And, and we're seeing this in other nations, too, like Israel. Just want to get your thoughts on that. So in all likelihood, uh, the Omicron, Omicron uh, variant is going to be uh, 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 petering out. And we'll see uh, a drop in, uh, in cases, a drop in hospitalizations. And... Um, and that'll allow for a little more sober reflection on what to do next. And yeah. uh, vaccine mandates um, have, uh, for this virus, I think have always been a bad idea. And um, the Supreme Court 
happily knocked down the Biden administration's attempt to impose a vaccine on all employers through the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Uh, that doesn't mean, however, that we're out of the woods. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, that vaccination is not a good idea. This is still a deadly virus and uh, is still going to be spreading through the population, even as it becomes endemic. And uh, like the seasonal flu, seasonal influenza uh, virus, it's still going to be a good idea for a lot of people to uh, uh, to to vaccinate, it'll still be the safest way to protect themselves from this virus, and hopefully we can do it without, or we can have these discussions uh, without the sort of politicization that comes when the government tries to require people to vaccinate or require people to wear masks. So the question is for you then: Is uh, according to Libertarian Thought, which Cato Institute. Uh, when it comes to vaccination, whose decision is it? Is it the government's? Well, it should always, uh, ideally, it should always be the individual's decision. And uh, yet there are some uh, times when libertarians could countenance government creating incentives for people to vaccinate because the purpose of government and uh, and the only legitimate purpose of government it's to protect us from people who would harm us. And you can imagine situations where a virus is so deadly uh, and so transmissible that, uh, that the best way for uh, government to protect us from people who would harm us by transmitting that virus is to create incentives for people to vaccinate against it so creating incentives uh, think, about, is... think about an illness like think about an illness not never mind covid for right now right think about an illness like smallpox bob right it has a 30 percent infection fatality ratio uh for a lot of people this would be a death sentence uh if you uh have a an illness that is so that is that deadly or even deadlier then it becomes more plausible that a um, that a a that, that that the government creating incentives for people to, to use a vaccine that is effective against that virus uh, becomes liberty enhancing rather than just uh, something that takes away our our freedom. Yeah, of course and the pre the premise I, I, the premise there in your is that in fact there is evidence that the vaccine itself is prohibiting or going to limit uh, illness reduce illness. And, uh, of course, with, under the current circumstances, I would suggest there's been a lot of misinformation outright out in, in the public. CDC's had very mixed messages, as has uh, Fauci. So I would agree with you. You know, there are certain circumstances where we could perhaps have the government to, and I like your phrase, create incentives as opposed to create mandates uh, for certain behavior. But uh, I don't think this is one of those circumstances. And one of the problems, even if you... Look at, a, look at a disease like smallpox and say, okay, in that situation, the government it, it can legitimately create incentives for people to vaccinate. Uh, one of the problems with giving the government that power is that the government is going to then have that power and try to apply it in situations where uh, creating those incentives is not liberty enhancing. Right. 
And so you have to weigh that very carefully uh, because that is one of the costs of, of, of that approach that the government is not only going to use that approach when the benefits outweigh the costs. So, see, uh, to- so Michael, let me suggest that because uh, we've got to run here, but let me uh, suggest that uh, I would prefer the government being an exchange of good information of all points of view of our allowing us to have the good information to make our own decisions. If our immune systems are repressed, we can perhaps take action to, to isolate ourselves, to keep us from uh, social activity for others that perhaps not so much a concern, somebody who's young and has a a healthy lifestyle, you know, perhaps go ahead and take care and do their lives. My point being is uh, th- that it, I think it's a bridge too far for the government to begin making decisions, especially the federal government, maybe local government, uh, you know, we could consider that, but the federal government making a decision for everybody, that's a bridge too far. It really is, and you have to keep in mind that the government uh, uh, has a limited ability to affect people's behavior here. Mm-hmm. Even if you create these sorts of incentives, a lot of people are going to ignore them. You have to take that into account as well. And um, and another thing you have to take into account is the degree of uh, closely related to that is the degree of polarization in society. Yeah. Long before anyone had ever heard of COVID nineteen. We had an incredibly divided political culture in this country. It's becoming more divided over time, and it's becoming, uh, and, and that means uh, whoever is in, in power, half of the country is not going to believe or trust them. Yeah. That, My- that means they're going to have a hard time, uh, the government's going to have a hard time getting half of the country, no matter who's in power. Yeah. To uh, to follow public health recommendations, and the reason this keeps happening is because, or the reason this problem is getting worse, is because government is making more and more decisions right. uh, about our daily lives that that, that are upsetting uh, uh, half of the country. Again, no matter who is in power, and uh, we're not we're not we're going to have a hard time getting people to. Uh, follow public health recommendations until you build more trust in government. That's right. Michael Cannon, again, uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Again, the event today at 2 o'clock. You can participate. Go to Cato.org. Always appreciate your commentary here in the show, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. 
That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you, too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Thank you, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. I mean, this is size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and D.C. doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's a dark state up there, some some deep state up there. So, uh, Seton, you wrote a column, so interesting. Big media, NBC News, yet again doing PR work for big banks and big government. I mean, I know it's true, but let's talk about the evidence. Tell us about it. Well, there's a uh, issue being discussed kind of under the radar in, in D.C. It's not... You know, one of the major issues we're talking about. Um, there's a Republican and some Democrats that want to basically, in all, in all, for all intents and purposes, kill what are known as payday loans. Uh, payday loans, of course, we've discussed this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you borrow money on Tuesday to get to your payday on Friday. If you're if you're low income, you're poor, you're got bad credit. You, you're not going to the big banks aren't going to give you a credit card, and they're not you know. Um, the small banks that would have lent you money were killed by Dodd-Frank, um, which was written by the big government to help big banks. It's killed right. thousands of small competitive competitors to the big banks um, since its uh, passage. So out of this hole that was created, uh, of you know, you used to get small lines of credit from your local bank, your small bank, your community bank. And they went away, so these payday loans came up. Um, now, they charge very high interest, but there's several very good reasons for that. One, the loans are very, very short-term. Yeah. So the, the interest rate is high, So the but the money you pay is low. Right. Um, uh, and plus, you're dealing with people who, again, don't have very good credit, don't have a lot of income. And this is basically the only place they can get any kind of loan at all, period. And, the, the, of course, after killing the small banks, 
the big banks thought they'd you know remedied the competition situation, and then these payday loans come up, and so now they're trying to get legislation to um, destroy the payday lo- lending by capping the loan loan rate. Yeah. Well, then NBC News comes in. Writes an article. I don't watch NBC News. This could have been a segment on, uh, you know, the morning show or on the evening news. I don't know. Right. But this, they, they found one person, and there was one sentence in this article that was just hysterical. One person borrowed two hundred dollars from a payday lender. Then the, the sentence, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it. I don't have it in front of me. She said. Well, I went in to pay the $200, but instead I left with $200 more. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, the whole, and of course the whole article's slant is payday loans are awful, they should be regulated, they, you know. Um, and as we know, if you price cap something, you're killing what you're price capping. Right. So you're, you're basically saying, let's kill payday loans. But the, the whole premise of the article is based on one person with apparently very little self-discipline and self-control. Right. And um, I was yelled at by a commenter on the article who said, I think they're more harm, they do more harm than good, in my opinion. I said, 12 million people got payday loans last year. And you're going to outlaw because one moron has no self-discipline at all? <laughs> I mean, you see, know, I, not, I, I, not everybody, not everybody that's uh, living hand to mouth is stupid or poor. I mean, they, they, no. you know, there's a difference between being poor and being broke. I mean, some people are broke. Some people right. poor, poor is a state of mind. Being broke, that's a situation. And uh, uh, so the uh, so, so people need a couple hundred bucks to put get tires for the car or whatever it might be just to be able to make it to the next payday. And right. uh, it, it yeah, and there's paperwork involved. There's decisions to be made. So it should have a higher interest rate. And uh, the consequence of what you're saying is it's going to just absolutely eliminate this source of money for people who are in that situation. I mean, you're, you're now consigning millions of poor people to what? Life wrecking over $300 if they can't borrow anymore? Right. I mean, that's your solution? Um, and... Of course, this you know I, I said to the commenter, this is like gun, uh, this loan is a tool, like a gun is a tool. Yeah, and you're going to take it away from millions of people who use it for self-defense and self-preservation. Right. Because one idiot went in to pay the loan back, and instead borrowed the same amount of money again. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like she's got a problem that. Means of other people apparently don't that use the loans in the fashion to which they're intended and have their lives improved as a result. And you're going to take that away from everybody because this person, the whole article is based on one person. Yeah. And, 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 you know, again, anecdotes don't equal evidence. And this isn't even anecdotes plural, it's anecdote singular. It's one person they found. So, and meanwhile, they cite the fact that 12 million Americans in 2021 got payday loans. Mm-hmm. So, again, and this is NBC News completely blowing up the skirts of the big banks and big government who want to outlaw this. Yeah. And, you know, it's the Elizabeth Warrens in D.C. and all these morons who, who 
still champion and proudly proclaim the success of Don Frank when it's done nothing but you know the, the only banks left are the ones that they claimed were too big to fail and they should be dealt yeah. with. I mean, Dodd-Frank. Uh, I think big banks hate Dodd Frank as well, but they have the attorneys and they have the money in order to deal with the paperwork and right. the, and, the, and everything that's gummed up as a result of Dodd Frank. It puts smaller competitors out of business, and so it really serves the needs of big business at the expense of the little guy. And as that's you, why. That's why big business is always lobbying for bigger government, yeah. because they can afford it. Their smaller competitors can't. There was a great line from another commenter. I love this line. They said, you know, Republicans make the mistake of championing big business because they think it's just small business, small, small business, only bigger. No, big business is actually like small government. Right. Yeah, it's a great they, po- That's a great point. They're slow. They're sclerotic. They're bureaucratic, um, and 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 they and that, that's why there's a natural affinity between big government and big business. Uh, no question. Seton Motley again, the founder and president of Less Government. I really appreciate your comments on this important topic, uh, Seton. Uh, LessGovernment.org is the website. LessGovernment.org. I hope you check it out. You can also follow Less Government on Facebook. Seton, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. I hope you'll check out the website, thefga.org. We have with us Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thank you so much for having me. Um, the crisp Thursday morning. It is. a. We've had a little bit of a cold spell. I guess we're going to have another one, aren't we? Yeah, that's what they started to say when you uh, called in, so I'll have to wait to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, the election's coming up on uh, February the 1st. And, yeah, and uh, I just love to get your thoughts on how things are going. Oh, I, you know, Bob, every single day there are mailers that come in of why, of why this candidate or that candidate is the best, and they are getting ugly. Uh, uh, Old Naples Association came out with a uh, came out with a uh, uh, an email yesterday. Okay, and they they are a property owners association. You know, period. Yeah, and. It was more like an endorsement uh, than anything you've ever seen, other than they're not a pack or anything. But they they said, here's how we see the candidates. And, of course, they put their candidates, you know, exactly where they wanted them, you know, and that was only an opinion, obviously. But it was more like an endorsement than anything you and I could have paid for. Um, and then they. Um, I think that's a good way to lose your non-for-profit status, isn't it? Well, I don't know, Bob. I would guess they, they'd have to prove it, and nobody nobody wants to take anybody on. I mean, that's the thing. This uh, Beth uh, uh, Portinoff, um, she's uh, you know she's she's um, they're all picking her up like she's on Hutchison's coattails and uh, and um, everything he does. She you know she's in on, and um, she I don't think that she's been candid about her background and nobody has taken her up on it mm -hmm. uh, you know she did work for GE capital but then they disbanded and there's a big time void in there and then the thing about where she lives I mean she she alleges in one of her campaign things that she you know uh, three generations in Naples Florida well she wasn't here for three generations she's been here for a little more than two years hmm. um, but, but doesn't say that she's the last time she's been voting in New Canaan, Connecticut. So, you know, uh, but but they don't they don't put it out there. Huh. Now, you you participate in an organization that you uh, you uh, oh. uh, investigate and uh, actually uh, endorse candidates for city council. And right. uh, for our listeners benefit, who does the who does the organization like? Well, the, the organization now, and we are nonpartisan. That's another part of this whole thing, Bob, regardless of what your party affiliation is. The city of Naples, right in the charter, says this is a nonpartisan election. Okay, it can't be any clearer than that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, they're using that uh, very heavily as uh, so-and-so didn't, didn't vote or hasn't voted in a couple of years or switched party affiliations or... Um, did this or did that, and um, and 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 they're they're just um, they're making a big big deal out of it. Naples Better Government. When we did our interviews um, with candidates, and this organization has been in in Naples thirty years. This is our thirtieth anniversary. Huh. Uh, we 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 make sure we said this is nonpartisan in our endorsements. Well, it so happens that Hutchison didn't show up, and neither did Port Portenoff. She didn't show up. What? 
Petronoff. Petronoff. I always pronounce her name wrong. Sorry about that, Beth. Um, anyway, um, she didn't show up, and, and Hutchison didn't show up for the interviews. Uh, uh, and um, so then we got a, a chastised for endorsing three candidates um, uh, when the other two didn't show up. Well, whose fault is it they didn't show up? <laughs> yeah. Where's the accountability of a candidate? I mean, where's the transparency? If you're not, if you're not going to show up for a job interview, how can you expect <laughs> to get hired, for crying out loud? Well, I guess that's putting it uh, uh, straight out, and that's what I love about the Bob Harden show. That's, <laughs> that's telling the lie it is. You know, well, why didn't you endorse me? Well, why didn't you show up for crying out loud? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So we endorsed um, we endorsed Ray Crispin, who I, I like very much. Um, he's, he's, he's been kind of a rock there. Um, and he and I had our differences at the beginning, believe it or not, with yeah. the ethics and everything. But he's a... Uh, he, he, he's a good guy, and uh, I like Ian Rudnick, our uh, former police officer, young, young, uh, uh, he's young blood on the council, that's for sure, and a very smart young man, and I think he would be, he would be great. And then we, um, we endorsed uh, uh, John Dugan, who is probably Mr. Controversy, because he puts out more material than anybody you ever saw in your life, okay? But he's more... The problem with, with, with him is that he is strictly Republican and says this is a Republican thing, but, and he wants people to bullet vote for him. Now, I'm not endorsing that, right. um, but look, he was one of the candidates picked, and he can use it, and it's the other's fault that they didn't show. They might have gotten endorsed, and then again, maybe they wouldn't have, Right. but, but, but you know, it's, it's a moot point, so— I just wish it was over already. They don't have any more um, uh, forums, but uh, they sure are doing a war of words. If <laughs> yeah, so point of information, uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, yeah. Dugan's promoting himself as a Republican. That's not illegal. I mean, if, just because it's yeah. nonpartisan, he he can say that if he wants, right? And of course he can, and he's, he's, he's pulling it to the hilt because he's saying that some of the others— uh, uh, switched parties and uh, and they were whatever. I mean, th there's a fine line there. Of course, he can say he's a Republican. He yeah. can say the only Republican, Republican, if that's the case or whatever it is. Not nothing wrong with that. Um, but as I say, he's he's just definitely out there. I mean, uh, he's got signs all over the place and he's um, um, he's taken them to task. Let's put it that way. So it should be it should be interesting. Um, and uh, they're the, the the regular city council right now are playing games, um, not Gary Price or Ray or Paul Perry, but they're trying to pull some funny stuff with some meetings they want to get in before the election because they have an agenda that they would like to get just in case their candidates don't get elected. OK, and um, hmm. and uh, uh, I don't think it's going to happen um, what they're trying to do. But but old Heitman was trying to squeeze meetings in like every other day you know well we could use this for a meeting and whatever it is and they kind of caught her the other day and said look uh, a couple of the council members gary price said look this is just not this is not right uh and you're going to have a new council coming in regardless of who they are and they're the ones that should be making these these decisions so the, it's the usual bob yeah <laughs> <laughs> I must say, though, it's even though it's the usual and it's disappointing, it's probably higher level and uh, with uh, more class than some of the stuff we see in Capitol Hill. So, yeah, I got a question. Got a quick question for you before, before time runs out. Sure. 
we know how much of a Pats fan um, uh, your lovely wife is, okay? There's yeah. no doubt. All right? So can I ask the question that now that our Bills have won, will she root for the Bills now going down the road, or is there no way in hell that she would do that? You know what? I think I think as a consequence, I, it literally slipped my mind, but as I, as I recall, we have a dollar bet. You won a dollar. Yes, I did. Because the Bills beat the Patriots, and uh, boy, right. they, they wasn't just—they gave them a whooping, is what. what yeah, they, they did. But I, I'm wondering if 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 Linda would be gracious enough to say, look, because boy, she is a fan, no doubt about it, of the Pats, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, saying, well, you know, Buffalo did did beat us pretty good. I I want to root them home for the Super Bowl. Or is she going to switch over to anybody else other than them? Well, I think I I will say that I think her preference right now is for uh, the uh, for uh, uh, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank here, Bill, for uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks. Oh, I think. Oh, the Bucks. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I guess I can. Yeah, I guess I'll have to give her that one. Yeah. Okay, Linda, <laughs> I'll, I'll give your husband a chance to get a dollar back if he wants the buck to get to the bill. Uh, hey, hey, listen, Bill, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll have a good one. Take you care. as well. Thank you as well. Oh, Bill a buck. I got to pay him up. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow's show. Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.